the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for starting your week with us this morning at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Monday, the 27th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Obviously, the sports and the entertainment world were rocked yesterday by the shocking news of the death of one of the greatest basketball players in the history of uh, uh, the sport, Kobe Bryant, uh, lost his life as he was one of nine people on board a helicopter that went down on a hillside in Calabasas, California. He was uh, killed in this horrific, horrific event, along with his 13-year-old daughter, um, whom he was accompanying to a basketball game. He is uh, the basketball coach for his 13-year-old daughter's team, and they were on their way to a game. And uh, obviously, this just hit yesterday early afternoon like a ton of bricks virtually everybody even if you're not a sports fan or a basketball fan you hear the name kobe bryant and your ears perk up because you know that name because he's one of the most famous basketball players not just in the world today but but literally to ever live when he retired he retired just a couple of years ago as the third leading scorer in the history of the nba Um, He was compared for his entire career to Michael Jordan because he tried to channel the career of Michael Jordan. His uh, on-court abilities and his style and his uh, the way he played uh, was the most reminiscent of Jordan, uh, really, in in the history of basketball. The the similarities were eerie. Their size, their their talents, uh, uh, the way they spoke. A lot of people accused Kobe Bryant of trying to speak like Michael to really channel him, and uh, perhaps he did. I bring all of this up today not to do a basketball show or not to do a, uh, a full memorial service to Kobe Bryant outside of saying that I know that all good people of faith 
and all people of goodwill join me in expressing our deepest condolences and prayers uh, for the souls of not only Kobe and his daughter, Gigi, but um, for the other seven lives that were lost on that plane now, or uh, that helicopter. Now, just a little update on that to say that there's not much of an update on that, to be quite honest with you. Um, the sheriff of Los Angeles County, during the press conference that they held yesterday at roughly 530, uh, made it very clear they're not going to be identifying any of the victims of that crash, even though it has already been done with respect to Kobe. And, uh, you know, because of his his fame uh, and his family, the rest of the uh, passengers who lost their lives on that uh, in that terrible accident, they um, they were not going to be identified. Now, one other has been identified, and I think it's important. As a matter of fact, you know, a couple of other names have been uh, rumored or bandied about, but they haven't been confirmed yet. But of the other seven victims, we do know that one of them is Orange Coast College baseball coach John Altabelli. And Again, the the rumors being bandied about suggest that he was with his wife and she was also killed in this terrible helicopter crash. But I cannot confirm that because I've only seen that in a couple of places, not anything official. But they haven't notified the next of kin yet to some of them, and and uh, they wanted to make sure that coroner's reports were uh, were given before they actually confirmed the identities of some of the other victims, which could indicate that the seriousness of the crash made them unidentifiable by simple appearance. So I want to make sure that we're not just talking about Kobe Bryant, and we're not just talking about Kobe and his daughter. We are talking about nine lives lost in that terrible crash yesterday. But I will focus on Kobe because his fame kind of dictates that. And I want to do it in a very, what I feel to be an appropriate way. Kobe Bryant was a basketball player, yes, a very famous basketball player, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And memorializing somebody who is a national public figure is just commonplace, and that's that's normal, and that's that's the way it should be. The loss of his daughter along with him, like you know, you you don't want to think about that really. You just don't. You don't want to think about what it was like for him trying to hold his daughter uh, and, 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 and try to comfort her and protect her as this terrible event was unfolding. You don't even want to think about that, right? But you just want to send your prayers and, and open your heart to, to you know, his soul, her soul, and all of their souls, and, and to just pray for their, um, uh, you know, for their uh, embrace by, by the loving arms of God. And what some have done online, because quite honestly, I've said this before, the Internet is Satan, particularly social media is Satan. And I know it's a really horrific thing for me to say that and then be a part of it. I do use it all. Um, as I've said a number of times on this program, sometimes you have to dance with the devil, and you do. Uh, sometimes you need to reach and respond to things that are just flat-out evil in a certain way in order to try to... Uh, limit the damage that they can do. So I do use those things, but I truly do believe that particularly social media and its judgment zone of of everyone, it's filled with hatred, it's filled with lies, it's filled with um, things that people cannot respond to. 
And some of that was used yesterday to remind everybody on the day of his death and on the day of his daughter's death and with his wife and three surviving daughters uh, grieving and in in shock, they felt the need to remind everybody about Kobe Bryant's past and something that happened in 2003. And in doing so, essentially mocking his death. And saying, why are we memorializing this guy? He was a bad guy because. And then they would list whatever their understanding of what happened in 2003 was. And it's just, I I believe, wholly inappropriate, particularly given the timing and the sad, tragic death of, of his daughter along with him, not to mention, as I pointed out, the other seven individuals. So I found something yesterday that I felt it was worth sharing, and I put this on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page. I have not shared it with my public page, which is France Radio yet. Um, But I want to share it with you now. It's not a long article, but I want to read it to you. Because this is about redemption, and it's about forgiveness. Something that all of us hope to have on the day that we meet our Maker. And I would say to you this, life, as is proven daily, is fleeting. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. The rest of today is not guaranteed. I promise you, 41-year-old Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter had planned on decades of enjoyment of life to come. Decades. And suddenly, one mechanical failure or pilot error, we don't know. It'll take weeks for the investigation to ferret out what happened. But but one tragic moment later in a helicopter crash, those decades that they were planning are gone. So as we all think about our own mortality, and the t- whenever the day may come that we meet our Maker, we hope that we can find redemption and forgiveness for our own failings. And I read this article about Kobe Bryant's faith and his own redemption, and I felt like this is worth sharing at a time when far too many hate-filled people are saying terrible things about the worst moments of his life in the moment of his death. I want to say something positive. This article was originally published in April of 2016. Sadly, of course, Kobe passed away yesterday. Here's the article from April 2016. On Wednesday, April 13, 2016, Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest athletes of all time, ended his 20-year basketball career with a bang, scoring 60 points in his last game. While Bryant's stats can be recited by many, five-time NBA champion, two-time Olympic champion, 18-time All-Star, third-leading scorer in NBA history, few know about the role his Catholic faith played in helping him through one of his darkest hours. Born in Philadelphia, Kobe Bryant was raised in a Catholic household and even spent some of his youth in Italy. Drafted into the NBA at the age of 17, he eventually married Vanessa Lane at St. Edward Roman Catholic Church in Dana Point, California. Two years later, they had their first child. Bryant was at the top of his game, and everything seemed to be heading in the direction of his dreams. Then he made a big mistake. In 2003, Kobe Bryant was accused of raping a woman in his hotel room while he was in Colorado for knee surgery. He admitted to having sex with the woman, but denied rape. A judge eventually dropped the rape charges. 
but the woman went on to file a civil lawsuit against Bryant that was settled outside of court. In the midst of it all, he issued a public apology, stating that he was sincerely ashamed of what he had done. The incident had major consequences, as numerous sponsors abandoned him and his reputation was tarnished. In 2011, his wife filed for divorce. Yet during one of the darkest moments of his life, Kobe Bryant turned to his Catholic faith. In an interview with GQ in 2015, he explained, quote, The one thing that really helped me during that process, I'm Catholic, I grew up Catholic, my kids are Catholic, was talking to a priest. It was actually kind of funny. He looked at me and said, did you do it? And I said, of course not. Then he asked, do you have a good lawyer? And I'm like, uh, yeah, he's phenomenal. So then he just said, let it go. Move on. God is not going to give you anything you can't handle. It's in his hands now. This is something you can't control, so let it go. And that was the turning point. End quote. After some rough years, Kobe Bryant reconciled with his wife, and they remain married to this day. Together they have founded the Kobe and Vanessa Bryant Family Foundation, which is dedicated to, among other things, helping young people in need, encouraging the development of physical and social skills through sports, and assisting the homeless. Asked about his commitment in 2013, Bryant's answer would likely have made Pope Francis very happy. Quote, My career is winding down. At the end of my career, I don't want to look back and just say, well, I had a successful career because I won so many championships and scored so many points. There's something else that you have to do with that. The homelessness issue is one of a kind that gets, uh, uh, is, is one that kind of gets pushed back, pushed on the back burner, because it's easy to point the blame at those who are homeless and say, well, you made the bad decision. This is where you are. It's your fault. In life, we all make mistakes. And to stand back and allow someone to live that way and kind of wash your hands of it, that's not right. End quote. Throughout all of his trials and perhaps even in response to them, Bryant, just, or Bryant has realized that fame and fortune were nothing compared to the importance of faith and family. When everyone else in the world abandoned him, the Catholic Church was always there for him. He may be an all-star and an NBA legend, but even superstars can use the foundational support of faith formation and a good priest to turn to. That's the, I told you, it wasn't a very long article. But I, I find it extraordinarily important to share that, especially as some prefer to focus on the negatives. Again, the rape charge against him was dropped for lack of evidence by the judge. He apologized publicly for his adultery because he did, he did admit to that. But regardless... He met his maker at a time that was not of his planning at the young age of 41 in a helicopter crash, and he did so having found redemption and forgiveness from those closest to him. And I think it's important that we all recognize that his faith is what has carried him through this stage of his life and what will carry him uh, to the arms of God. So again, our prayers and our thoughts and our condolences to all of the victims of that terrible crash yesterday, and I will hope we all can use and take this reminder of what redemption and forgiveness can do for all of us. We'll be right back. In the arms of the angel. Now heard through downtown, through greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM, it's the Bob France Authority. From this
All right, 926, thanks again for joining us. We're going to get on to the business of the day, and that is, of course, the continuation of the Senate trial to potentially remove the President of the United States after his impeachment by the House. Um, Again, the Kobe Bryant story, if you have thoughts on it, I will be more than happy to take them. The Kobe Bryant tragedy yesterday, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gigi, uh, as well as... um, uh, uh, seven other people who are less well-known and thus are kind of being overlooked in all of this. Some of them are identities are not even known yet, at least uh, five or six of them not even known yet. Um, but if you do have thoughts on that and you would, would like to speak on it, by all means, dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Uh, we'll take those calls. You can also use that uh, satanic form of social media communication, which it is, uh, Facebook and Twitter, which I sadly and regretfully am a part of. Uh, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, Those are or that is the handle to find me there. But uh, I do want to pivot to this now, and of course, the bombshell, the bombshell. It's a huge story, we are being told. The New York Times has obtained advanced copies of the manuscript of John Bolton's book, which, by the way, goes on sale today. Pre-orders available. Amazing <laughs> coincidence. Yesterday, on Sunday... The New York Times gets a hold of the manuscript of the John Bolton book, and today the John Bolton book goes on sale for pre-orders. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? Of course, the bombshell of this book, according to what the New York Times is reporting, is that former National Security Advisor John Bolton um, is accusing President Trump of indeed having a quid pro quo arrangement that he was trying to push on the nation of Ukraine. The Times' exclusive report said that Bolton's manuscript claimed Trump explicitly linked a hold on Ukraine aid to an investigation of Joe and Hunter Biden. Trump told Bolton in August, says the Times, by way of what they are claiming to be an advanced copy of the manuscript, um, that he wanted, quote, to continue freezing $391 million in security assistance to Ukraine until officials there helped with investigations into Democrats, including the Bidens, end quote. The Times further claimed Bolton had shared a manuscript of his forthcoming book with, quote, close associates, end quote, prompting Bolton's team to deny that claim and assert that the National Security Council's review process of pending manuscripts is corrupted and, yes, prone to leaks. A pre-publication review at the NSC, which functions as the White House's National Security Forum, is standard for any former government officials who holds, held security clearances and uh, publicly write or speak publicly about their official work. The review typically would focus on ferreting out any classified or sensitive material in advance of publication and could take from days to months. President Trump fired back on Twitter last night refuting the New York Times claims, refuting Bolton's claims, saying, quote, I never told John Bolton that the aid to Ukraine was tied to investigations into Democrats, including the Bidens. In fact, he never complained about this at the time of his very public termination. If John Bolton said this, it was only to sell a book. With that that being said, the president tweeted, the transcripts of my calls with President Zelensky are all the proof that is needed in addition to the fact that President Zelensky and the foreign minister of Ukraine said there was no pressure and no problem. Additionally, I met with President Zelensky at the United Nations. Democrats said I never met and released the military aid to Ukraine without any conditions or investigations. 
and far ahead of schedule. I also allowed Ukraine to purchase Javelin anti-tank missiles. My administration has done far more than the previous administration. End quote. Other conservatives use the uh, Sunday evening forums uh, to argue against Bolton's team, saying that they may have leaked the information themselves while using the media as unwitting tools just to juice Bolton's book sales. Online merchants began taking orders of Bolton's book entitled The Room Where It Happened, just as the Times broke the story with a March release date. Uh, needless to say, we're going to talk to Congressman Jim Jordan about this and the rest of the Senate trial, which resumes this morning with Republicans and uh, Republican defense, excuse me, President Trump's defense attorneys uh, proceeding to tear apart 20 plus hours of Adam Schiff's lies when the trial resumes. We'll talk more about it after the news, which is now a 1420 The Answer. On a Monday morning, thanks for joining us. Congressman Jim Jordan in about 13 minutes. Looking forward to that. We're going to talk to him about everything that has gone on over the course of the past uh, six, well, now seven days since his last appearance. And that, of course, is the entirety of the marathon of listening to Adam Schiff drone on and on and on, telling lie after lie after lie, and then having... Almost all of it, about 24 hours of Adam Schiff and a little bit of Jerry Nadler and a couple of other uh, um, lackeys speaking uh, out of, with lies against the president in this uh, sham of an impeachment trial in the United States Senate. It was all undone in about two hours <laughs> on Saturday morning when Jay Sekulow and Pat Cipollone and others just uh, took it apart tiny piece by tiny piece. And that was just the, the hors d'oeuvres. The main meal is going to start this morning, and we're looking forward to hearing from from the uh, president's team uh, in his defense. The, uh, the the left is so bad, and what they got out of the 24 hours plus of straight arguing and trashing the president, telling lies, cherry-picking quotes, uh, keeping them out of context, which, of course, the president's defense team uh, brought to the equation on, on Saturday morning, which is context. Um, it, it it got so bad, honestly, the way things look right now, that even leftist media outlets like CNN, and they get no far no further left than uh, CNN, are are describing some of their arguments as being particularly weak. CNN legal analysts and impeachment experts Ross Garber, Michael Gerhardt join our conversation. Maggie Haberman of the New York Times is still with us. Uh, Ross, let me let me start with you. Um, it was almost Trumpian in the sense that everything this president does is bigger and better and greater than anybody before him. Zolofgren trying to make the case there that we have never seen defiance of the constitutional order like this. Is she right? Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not aware of such a blanket refusal to produce information. That is true. You know, but uh, I think what he what the president would probably say is, unlike Nixon, he actually did produce the tapes here. You know, he produced the, the, the call record. You know, I, I, I am concerned, though, about this article of impeachment. I think this article is, the, the article about obstruction of Congress is particularly weak. Presidents going back to Washington have asserted privileges and immunities and objections. Uh, you know, President Obama's attorney general was cited for criminal and civil contempt of Congress. I think it'd be very dangerous to say that that is now a basis for impeachment. That was CNN, not Fox News. CNN 
bringing on political and legal analysts to bolster their case to get rid of the president because CNN is just as committed to getting rid of Donald Trump and not allowing him to participate in the 2020 election as the Democrats in the House are. CNN is dedicated to getting rid of Donald Trump. There is a war between CNN and the Trump administration. And yet CNN can't even get its legal analysts and political analysts to agree with them. You just heard Garber. This article, the second of the two articles, Obstruction of Justice, is particularly weak, he said. Presidents going all the way back to Washington have asserted privileges and immunities and objections. Even Obama's attorney general was cited for criminal and civil contempt of Congress. This would be a dangerous thing to say that this is now a basis for impeachment. And he's exactly correct. Nancy Pelosi. Now, actually, let me let me pause. And let me go to Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff, the lead pencil neck of this entire crew, of course, was on uh, with uh, Allison Camerata yesterday on CNN's New Day on the Sunday Morning Nonsense. And he was responding to President Trump's tweet directly at him, at Adam Schiff, in which the president said, Adam Schiff is a corrupt politician and probably a very sick man. He has not paid the price yet for what he has done to our country. This is Schiff's response. We ought to, that. to not only have John Bolton testify, but we ought to see what he wrote down in his notes at the time. The president tweeted about you yesterday and he said basically, quote, that you had not paid the price yet for all of this. Um, you said you took that as a threat. What kind of threat? Well, look, you know, I don't think you view this tweet in isolation. Uh, this is a president who accuses me of treason uh, and has accused the whistleblower of treason and said there are ways to treat people. We used to have a way of treating people who are traitors and spies. I don't think there's really much doubt that he wants to at least give the suggestion that uh, the retribution should be of a kind other than at the ballot box. Uh, this is, you know, the the president's kind of... Uh, organized crime speak and that people would tolerate that or not condemn that in the president um, you know just shows how this president has brought down the stature of his office and, and debased the public discourse and just so I'm clear you mean a threat to your personal safety I think it's intended to be uh, personally threatening I th- so to, to clarify that, Adam Schiff just said that when you say somebody has to pay a price, which is what Trump tweeted and that he was responding to, that is organized crime speak. That is personally threatening speech. Because Trump tweeted that Schiff has yet to pay a price for what he's done. Okay, let's keep that, let's use that as our, as our, um, uh, uh, as our barometer. If you say somebody has to pay a price for what they've done, that's like organized crime threats, personal physical threats. Keep that in mind as you listen to Nancy Pelosi. It's about a fair trial. They take an oath uh, to uh, take have a fair trial, and we think that would be with witnesses and documentation. So that dynamic has now the ball is in their court to either do that or pay a price well, for not doing points- it. Oh, my goodness. Did you just get chills? I got chills. I just heard Nancy Pelosi say that you better, GOP senators, you better 
agree to witnesses and documentation being presented in the Senate trial, or you are going to pay a price. Do you hear the gangster in her? Do you hear the gangland mafioso threat that she just gave Democratic senator or Republican senator? Now the senators? in their court to either do that or pay a price well, for not doing points. Do that or pay a price for not doing that. Adam, Adam Schiff, pencil neck. I think you need to have a word with the speaker. She just used gang gangster-style intimidation to personally threaten GOP senators. That if they don't go along with witnesses and testimony, then they're going to have to pay a price. The absurdity of these people is off the charts. Just listen to them. And now... Grasping at straws, they're going to latch on to this John Bolton manuscript as being proof that Donald Trump, A, did indeed want a quid pro quo with Ukraine, and B, that Bolton must be called now as a witness. There is no excuse for Republican senators to vote against witnesses at this stage. And we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that argument in just a few moments. Will in Chagrin Falls, though, is up first on AM 1420, The Answer. Will, thanks for calling. Go right ahead. Hey, uh, kind of jumping subjects on you, if that's all right. That's okay. You t- call about Kobe? Yeah. Yes, so go right I ahead. i start out by thanking you for talking about Kobe in the way that you did. I mean, it's very easy to focus on his championships and his play. And as great as that was, my opinion is that that's not the greatest, the greatness of his life. I, uh, I didn't know that much about him, but I read the same stuff that you read yesterday. And another point about that I read was that uh, a young lady saw him at Daily Mass recently, which is not something that many Catholics go to. <laughs> right? You're right. You're right. I I think that uh, it's the you know regardless of his professional career, when he had the hard times, he went to God. He got counsel from his priest. He fought through challenges in his marriage. Maintained a 19 year marriage was active with his kids, actively raising his kids, and stuff. And long-term marriages are hard. <laughs> There's no easy long-term marriage out there. And I, Absolutely not. The, es- especially those. when you do. Especially when you do fall short of your vows. Is you know, and, and he admitted that he did have you know an adulterous incident. Um, you know, he claims it was consensual. And again, that's you know the courts heard what the courts had to hear, and the, and the judge dismissed that charge, and uh, and and so now he's left with what he don't knows that he did do, and that's between him and his wife, and eventually between him and God. For people on the day of his death and the tragic death of his daughter, and for his wife and three surviving daughters to have to listen to reminders of that terrible time in their marriage and in their you know their lives together is just unconscionable, and I felt like it was. You know, and and I think it is. It still should be incumbent upon everybody who is a person of goodwill to share, you know, Kobe Bryant's story of redemption and 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 how his faith carried him through. That's exactly where I am. When I'm gone, I hope that uh, what's remembered about me is not my worst day. Right. I assure you, that would be embarrassing and painful. Um, I, I don't did. think there's a human being alive, Will, who would like to be judged on their final day and remembered on their final day by the transgressions of their worst day. That is exactly correct, correct my friend. I thank you for the call. I've got to make room for Congressman Jordan, who's coming up next. Thank you, Will. Very, very good conversation. I appreciate that. Right back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. 
Pop France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 949 as we continue now at AM 1420, The Answer. As promised, now we want to turn to a member of President Trump's legal defense team in this Senate trial over his impeachment, Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio's 4th Congressional District. Good morning, Congressman. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm fine, Bob. Good morning to you. Congressman, I want to go into this in reverse chronological order here and just give you a chance okay. off the top, because I, I want to get to what Schiff said last week and some of the nonsense. Sure. Um, but but let's, let's you know, the quote-unquote bombshell, the latest nail in the coffin, the latest, this is the, this is the part that's going to finally end Trump, is this manuscript leaked to the New York Times of John Bolton's book alleging that uh, John Bolton knew that President Trump directly uh, uh, demanded a quid pro quo that he said, I want to hold yeah. up that $391 billion until an investigation is started into Hunter and Joe Biden. Um, do you think that, uh, well, first of all, what do you make of that leak happening last night, the same night, by the way, or actually this morning, that pre-orders for the Bolton book uh, are, are starting to be taken? Yeah. So so yeah. just a coincidence, I, I assume. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, nothing surprises me now, but, but, but stop and step back and think about it. Someone tells the New York Times what John Bolton's draft manuscript supposedly says, and that's a bombshell. Like, come on, give me a break. We've seen this play before. Remember, when right when they were finishing their case in the House, suddenly this Mr. Holmes comes forward and says, oh, I just remembered, Shazam, I just remembered a conversation I heard at a key restaurant when Ambassador Sondland was talking to the president. I was sitting next to him, and I heard what he said, but I could hear it. And, and even though Mr. Holmes had told Ambassador Taylor this months ago, and Ambassador Taylor was the first star witness for the Democrats, the very first witness they had the public hearing, and he didn't remember any of it until Holmes suddenly remembered it at the end of the entire process. So it reminds me of that. Someone tells the New York Times what John Bolton's draft manuscript supposedly says, and it happens the day that his books go on preaching. Okay, you can have all that, but it doesn't change the fundamental facts. The fundamental core facts that we've been talking about do not change because of that, and I think the American people understand it all. The uh, Democrats, of course, are screaming for witnesses and for documents. They were doing this before this leaked story and hit the New York Times yeah. last night. Now they are going to use that story to, to uh, I don't know, make their cries more shrill. But they're going to continue to scream that if there are not witnesses and if there are not documents uh, presented here, new discovery being done, that every Republican senator that votes again and is guilty of a cover-up. Cover In other words, do yeah. what we say or you are guilty of a cover-up. Do you think this will change any Republican mind? in terms of the senators when the potentially, if Mitch McConnell allows it, um, votes are held on whether to call witnesses? I don't think so. I mean, we, we, see, we see no indication Republican senators were, were, you know, moving towards calling witnesses last week. And remember, that was after the, the Democrats. We, had, we hadn't even, our side hadn't even put on the case yet. So we saw n- none of that. We saw Saturday that two hours of truth beat 20 hours of presumption, assumptions, and hearsay that we heard from the Democrats, and when you insult your audience, like uh, Mr. Nadler and Mr. Schiff did, that's usually not a good, not a good move. When you're, you know, what's what's the old book? How to win friends and influence people. My guess is somewhere in that book it says, "Don't insult your audience." But uh, maybe maybe Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler hadn't hadn't read that, haven't read that. But so I, I don't see that. Um, 
And I, I just look, I think the American people understand that, that the facts are on the president's side. Uh, they understand that Democrats have been out to get this president. They started impeaching before he was even elected, and they want it over with, and they want the president to get back to doing the good things he's been doing. Well, what you said is uh, about uh, two hours besting 20 hours is 100% correct. I mean, you know, they, they're staggered. They, they're just taking body shot after body shot, and that's just with a two-hour preview. This is the hors d'oeuvres. The main meal is coming still yeah. uh, starting today. Um, let's go back to some of what they undid. Uh, you, you've talked about Ambassador Sondland as being their star for, for a long time, and it's true. What, what I heard, particularly when Cipollone presented toward the end of the two hours on Saturday, and he presented the Sondland presumption, assumption, opinion, this is just what I thought case he never ever said anything definitive but it was my assumption and presumption yeah. that president trump wanted a quid pro quo despite the fact yeah. that later on president told sondland specifically by the way i don't want pre- quid pro quo yes. how much damage was done to the democrats uh case yeah i think you're you're right i thought uh i thought pat did it pat did a great job Seclo did a great job and and, and michael pura who went through the facts and then played that montage of as you said uh, Ambassador Sondland saying, I presume, other than my presumption, he, he said presumption and presume, I don't know, uh, it seemed like a hundred times. Yeah. So I thought that was particularly effective, um, underscoring that their case is built on hearsay, the president's case is built on facts. Those four key facts, the transcript shows no quid pro quo, the two guys on the call have repeatedly said there was no linkage, no pressure of, 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 of linking any type of security assistance to uh, an announcement of investigations. The Ukrainians third didn't know that there was aid was being held at the time of the call, so there could have been no pressure. They didn't learn until mm-hmm. a month later. And then a few days after that, the aid was released. And then fourth and most important, they never started an investigation. They never promised to start an investigation. And they never announced they were even thinking about starting it. They did nothing, took no action to get the money released. So whatever Adam Schiff says, whatever any of them says, Chuck Schumer, Jerry Nadler, it doesn't matter because those facts will not change. Congressman Jordan, strategically, um, and I've asked you about this before, and, and I think the facts sometimes kind of change from day to day when we talk. We only talk once a week, so I'm going to ask you again. Mm-hmm. Um, Senator Cruz is adamant that he really wants to call some witnesses so that he'll put up, I think, with Bolton as a witness in order to get Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and possibly even Adam Schiff testifying as fact witnesses. Lindsey Graham on the same day yesterday said, I don't want to do that. I want to get this over with. We should have an acquittal by the end of the week. And then if Congress sees fit and we should open up a separate investigation into what we have learned about Hunter Biden, Burisma, and access to the White House being sold through the vice president's office. Um, wh- wh- who's right, Senator Cruz or Senator, Senator Graham? Well, I, I think I'm probably sort of in between, where, but with, where I, I'm where most Americans would be. One, I don't think we need to call witnesses. I think we just need to get this over with. This is this four months now going on, you know, over four months um, divide that the, the Democrats have caused this ridiculous impeachment sham that they've, that they've undertaken. I want it over with, and I think most Americans do as well. But if, in fact, there are, they, they decide that they're going to bring in John Bolton or Mick Mulvaney, my attitude has always been, if you start down that road, if you start down that road, you've got to go all the way to the end. And if you're going to call in witnesses for just for the prosecution side, well, for goodness sake, then we need the whistleblower, and we need Hunter Biden to come in and testify. So I prefer we not do it. I, I, I think that's where this is going. I don't think there's going to be a vote to bring in witnesses. But if you're going to, you can't just bring in the prosecution witness. Give me a break. And remember, early on, Adam Schiff told us, this is a direct quote, we look forward to hearing from the whistleblower. And then that all changed when it was discovered, whoa, wait a minute, Adam Schiff misled us when he said we've had no contact with the whistleblower. 
when, in fact, his staff had met with the whistleblower. So the idea that the guy who started it all, the whistleblower, never had to testify, never had to raise his right hand, say, under, under oath, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, and answer our questions and see how he holds up under pressure of being questioned, that is ridiculous. So I'm not for calling witnesses, but if we're going down that road, I want the whistleblower on the stand answering questions. Adam Schiff continues to say, even now during this trial, he said it during the impeachment inquiry, he said it during the debate over articles, he says he doesn't know who the witness, uh, the uh, whistleblower is, and that his staff has not had any contact with the whistleblower. There are tweets, I know, there are tweets and statements he made months ago that indicated that absolutely he did know, he does know who it is, and that his staff talked to the whistleblower, but he himself hadn't personally here. I, I would like to, I mean, I don't know if I'm asking for censure or whatever it is, but Adam Schiff cannot stand there before Congress and before the American people, before the Senate, before the Chief Justice in a trial and tell these lies, can he? Yeah, and then to make matters worse, he lectures us on fairness. He talks about fairness requires this, fairness, and I'm like, fairness, for goodness sake, you're the guy who said for two years there's more than circumstantial evidence that that there was coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia. You're the guy who said who said the FISA process was fine. You're the guy who said the, the, the Nunes memo was not accurate, when in fact the, the, the inspector general showed us last month with his report that the Nunes memo was exactly accurate. The only thing the Nunes memo got wrong is it was worse than we thought. And the FISA process, they went to the FISA court and lied 17 times. And then Adam Schiff's the one who said, well, here from the whistleblower, and our staff has had no contact with the whistleblower. And now says, I don't even know who the was. That is so ridiculous. So for him then to turn around and lecture us, lecture Republicans, lecture the country on fairness, and fairness requires that the Senate do this, and fairness requires that that, and if you don't, there's, you know, insult them by saying your pike's on the head, quoting something. I mean, yeah. that is ridiculous. And I think, again, I think all the bluster, all the 20 hours, 20 plus hours, doesn't beat the two hours of truth that the American people got on Saturday. Well, there, there's more truth that should be coming that has not been allowed to to be presented. And uh, I was listening to uh, Representative Ratcliffe yesterday uh, talking about the 18th transcript. The, uh, uh, Adam Schiff kept referencing 17 witnesses who testified during the House impeachment inquiry. But there were 18 witnesses, and um, Ratcliffe was in the room when that 18th witness, who happened to be the intelligence community IG, Michael Atkinson, yep. testified. And he said he was there and he says the reason they won't release that one transcript, the 18th out of 18, is because it is extraordinarily damaging, proving that Schiff and the whistleblower both lied about their contact with one another. Is there a way to force that 18th transcript to be released? No, it's Adam Schiff's call. Take the decision and a vote of the, of the, of the committee to, um, to get that released. But this whole idea that then the that people need to know it. Yeah, that, that that the whistleblower is is somehow like you know, oh, we can forget about the whistleblower, pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain kind of uh, approach is ridiculous. Remember the whistleblower's complaint; it's filed August twelfth. For bullet point number one in that complaint, the whistleblower says, over the past four months, more than half a dozen U.S. officials have informed me about this effort. Who are these more than half a dozen U.S. officials? We have, we've talked about this before. We have no idea. Did we talk to them? Are they even real? We don't know. We assume Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's one because he obviously is one of the individuals who talked to the whistleblower because when he testified, he said there were five people he spoke to about the, the call, and he would only tell us four and was prohibited from telling us who the fifth was. Well, obviously, that's you know anyone can figure it out that that's the, that's the whistleblower. But who are the other five, six, seven, eight people that this whistleblower refers to in that bullet point? Did we interview them? We don't know because we never got to talk to the whistleblower. Do they even exist? Is this guy just making it up? 
we, we have no idea. And yet that became, that was the starting point, the launching point for now a four-month investigation into Im- removing the President of the United States from office less than 10 months before the next election. That is crazy. But that's the game that Adam Schiff and the Democrats have played, and the, and the mainstream press has let them get away with it. That's scary that that happened in the United States of America, but it did. Congressman, before you go, crystal ball it for me. Do we have an acquittal by the end of the week? Are we done? Yeah, I would bet on, on, on the former that, uh, that we have an acquittal by the end of the week and we get done before the State of the Union address and the president can come and talk, talk to the nation about the, the, the state of our union, which is strong based on the Trump policies and the things that he has gotten uh, done in the, in, the, in the first three years of his presidency. That's what I was looking to hear, uh, and I hope you're correct. And then I hope we do launch investigations into the Biden, because I do want them to be on the stand uh, for what they have done. And that was the predicate to the president's call for an investigation. President, or, uh, President, wow, I just promoted you. Congressman uh, Jim Jordan, thank you so much, sir, for the great work that you do. Yeah, Keep Bob. it up. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You too. Thank That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll get to the news now. A little bit late, but I think it was... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.